Good to see you. My name's Luke. Uh, good to be gathered together. Hello to everybody watching online or uh, maybe at one of our other campuses. Um, actually, this nobody needs to know this. Can you turn that TV off back there? That's really distracting me. So anyway, thank you. All right. Continuing. Um, we, uh, we have actually one more announcement kind of thing. You've seen these like very handsomely built kiosks that we have. We're using those. If you got a prayer request, you can put it there if you want to give an offering. That's uh, something you can do there or turn in those connection cards and maybe probably all of us don't fill out. If we can, I'll fill it out. It's really helpful as we care for one another in a large community. So we're using that tool and Ben made this announcement a few weeks ago just kind of to communicate and keep us all tracking. We, uh, we're going to stop using a different tool, the offering bags that we just uh, finished passing down the row. So um, it's a it's a little bit of a change. If you have questions about that, again, Ben described some of that. We have FAQs at the Info Center that just help us remind us we're, we're, not, uh, we're not omitting offering or worshiping in that way from our services. It's still just as important as it always has been. We'll continue to uh, talk about generosity and reflect on that and let it be part of our worship. So I uh, just want to let you know it's a change and uh, it's coming April 28th actually is the day we'll stop passing offering bags and continue to use the kiosks for those things. Or you can even do it online as well. New tools, but the same uh, same heart and belief about the importance of all of those things. All right, good story. There's a good story to be told today. Uh, and actually, um, if you can follow me back here, this is the one, we'll need this. Yeah, this is the one where Jesus makes us look at this for the first time. You know what this is, right? You guys awake today? Yeah, all right. You know what this is, right? Yeah, it's, it's a cross. Of course you know what it is. You've seen it everywhere. It's all over the place. Now, however, your knowledge of this, our knowledge of this, doesn't come from like direct experience. We've, we've heard of a time long ago when uh, people use these for sinister purposes. But for us, it's just kind of become a symbol. And we're used to seeing it everywhere. It's in churches all over the place. And, uh, you know, you tattoo it on yourself. There's cro- necklaces and earrings and so forth. Uh, you cross yourself, there's the American Red Cross, and you, it's embossed and engraved and embroidered on all different kinds of things. You see it everywhere. And it's become so commonplace and familiar and universal. We've become so used to, to being in its presence that it doesn't, for us, evoke the same kinds of sensations that it would have for the people who were first listening to the good story about Jesus, or for those people who were there when Jesus first called their attention to this image. We've never seen this thing do what it was designed to do. Never stood in front of it and watched a person suffer and bleed and ultimately suffocate to death hanging on it. Never had to to walk by with our family and shield our kids' eyes from the naked man hanging there. Never been a kid playing with our friends, wandering a little too far out of the neighborhood one time, curious about the cries and the curses that were coming from just around the bend. Never lived in a culture that was controlled by this and by the message that it sent. You have no power. 
You are not in control. You do not have the freedom to express yourself or to disagree with the establishment or to change the way things are. And if you think you do, before you act on that thought, just know, this is where that story ends. No good story ends here. The the people that were listening to Jesus would have known that, and they would have known that intimately. They would have sensed the the gravity of what to to them was was far more than just a symbol. The people who ended up here were uh, slaves who weren't humans anyway, just pieces of property, and enemies of the state, the the rebels, the bold, idealistic, I'm going to start a revolution kind of people. No, you're not. (laughs) You're going to end up here. Good story, but no. No good story ends here. But, but this is a good story, right? That's what we've gathered around for. If you've been following along, you know. If you're just showing up, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, we, we started several weeks ago listening to the story told by the gospel writer Mark in the Bible. His story starts with the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. This is an announcement. Something good has happened. Mark, who didn't see Jesus himself, but he grew up around the eyewitnesses, and he tuned into them, and he's giving voice to the stories that they tell, particularly to Peter, who was very close to Jesus and was close to Mark also. And so you got all of this, uh, these co- this collection of stories packaged together. It's fast-paced, snapshot after snapshot of Jesus. Some of them are like, oh, good story. Like, nobody would believe that because that doesn't happen. But then there's so many of them that's like, wow, there's something to be reckoned with here. Who is this Jesus guy? That's why Mark writes his story, to tell us who is Jesus and why does it matter. It's a good story. Are you watching? You watching the NCAA tournament at all? Anybody? Okay, a few of us are. I thought we maybe had more basketball fans. Even if you're not, that's okay. Big uh, college basketball tournament. 68 teams play 67 games. The games a lot of times are very exciting, like the ones just played Saturday night. And uh, so you got the game, and then all around that, you got all the commentators talking about it, windbags just, you know, talking about the, uh, analyzing it and dissecting it and giving their opinions and all of these useless interviews and so forth. But anyway, sometimes a commentator might, in a helpful way, reflect on a game and describe it in this way. They might say, well, it was a tale of two halves, meaning that the first half and the second half were noticeably different. Maybe a team started strong in the first half only to lose control of the game in the second half. Or the opposite, like, man, couldn't hit a thing in the first half, but then the team got hot after halftime. It was a tale of two halves. We could describe the book of Mark that way. It's a tale of two halves. We've been through most of the first half. And let me tell you, or if you've been around, you already know. It's great first half, strong first half. If you're there around the action surrounding Jesus as, as Mark's story is unfolding, I mean, it's a great time. You're, you're in the crowd, you're cheering along, raising the foam finger and doing the wave and chanting MVP and doing the dance cam. And it, I mean, it's a great time, Okay. <laughs> Things are going so well. I'm not, no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure I deserve that, but... That's the kind of environment that it is around Jesus. The crowd is, is hyped up, and there's a lot to stand up and cheer about. Said the guy who was lame on his mat, and then Jesus healed him, and he stood up and walked off. And there's a lot of examples like that. Now, it's not as if there's no opposition. Uh, there, there are some opponents. It's just that Jesus is always winning. He's always on top. Nothing that anyone throws at him is a problem for him. Raging storm at sea, rebuked with the word. Legion of demons, 
put in their place. All these diseases and sicknesses that nobody can do anything about, Jesus heals. Not even the smartest people can beat Jesus in a debate. We have never seen anything like this. Jesus uh, even makes his teammates better. I'm going to keep milking this analogy. Mark chapter 6, Jesus calls the 12 to him, and he gathers them. He sends them out two by two, gives them authority over impure spirits. And they go out, and they preach a message of repentance, and then they, they cast out demons, and they anoint the sick, and they heal them just like Jesus did. It is a dominant performance in every way. I mean, this is shaping up to be a pretty good ball game if you're for Team Jesus. And the crowd can sense that. They see what's going on here. And after he heals a deaf and mute man in chapter 7, it says the people were overwhelmed. This is amazing. They said he has done everything well. Awesome. Got it all going for him. One of the things you discover about Jesus in the first half of Mark is he's got a lot of fans. A lot of fans, they're wearing the t-shirt and telling their friends and coming back for more. This is our guy. 4,000 people turn out for a Jesus rally out in the wilderness, and it's going great except there's no food, and then they're starved, and Jesus saves the day. Few loaves, few fishes, he multiplies it, and it says that all the people ate and were satisfied. They'll be buying season tickets for that. So where is all this momentum leading? What, what does it all mean? Jesus actually uh, wants to hear what his disciples think about that. What are the fans saying? He puts his disciples on the spot. Uh, Who do the people say that I am? And his disciples say, well, they're they're talking. Some say it's like John the Baptist has come back from the dead. Or it's like Elijah has come back to life. Or certainly you're one of the prophets. Well, okay, okay. What about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, he punctuates the end of the first half by, uh, with, the, with these famous words that we still quote and we still say them today. Peter answered, you are the Messiah, or you are the Christ. <laughs> Good job, Peter. You have answered correctly. You, you see what all the hype is about, that, that I am the one that God sent to deliver his people and accomplish his purpose to be the kind of leader and the kind of king that God's people have always longed for. The things that I've said and the deeds that I've done confirm I am the Messiah. And with that, Jesus has led his disciples and thousands of fans and even a few foes through a triumphant first half of the good story. And, and, and I wonder, where, where do you find yourself in the story so far? Are you a fan? Jesus fan? Are you, are you just kind of a, a face in the crowd and you're you know, evaluating, watching, questioning? Are you a foe? An opponent? I don't know what your experience with Jesus has been in your life. If you've witnessed his power and his healing, if it's Uh, been something real. It's touched you, changed you in a real way. If Jesus for you has someone that you've experienced in an up close and personal kind of way, or if for you, Jesus has always been more at a distance. Someone about whom you've heard, but you've not really known yourself. Not sure what kinds of uh, conclusions that you maybe have drawn. Would you say, well, I'm a believer in Jesus? Would the first half of Mark be enough to convince you? Mark is trying to drive us to a decision. How would you answer Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? Maybe you said, like all the fans are saying, well, certainly Jesus is an important guy. I mean, he's a special guy, he's a prophet, he's, he's a good teacher, something like that. Or, or would you say the thing that, that Peter said, you are the Christ. Maybe you've said that already. Maybe you wore the t-shirt, you got baptized. You, maybe you're thinking, I'm, I'm on team Jesus. Well, wherever you're at, wherever you're at, you're invited to come along and to sort it out. 
And, and I think that Jesus would be pleased if all of us would, at some, would eventually land at the place where Peter landed to close out the first half. If we could arrive at the place and just call it like it is, recognize the moment, recognize Jesus, and say, you are the Christ. But uh, we've got to understand that the good story is a tale of two halves. And what Jesus really wants to know from all of the fans who are cheering him on in the first half is, will you follow me into the second? Great, you've, you've come somewhere. You, you've learned some things. We've shared some experiences together. But now that you've come this part of the way, will you follow me to the end? Are you a fan or a follower? Now, a good teacher knows that uh, you've you got to kind of sequence lessons. The right things have to be learned at the right time. And uh, so you see this, like i got little kids at home learning math, right? You're learning math, you've got to learn counting before you can do addition and subtraction. And then once you get those concepts, then you can move on to multiplication and other more difficult things, right? Well, uh, Jesus has helped his students grasp concept number one. He is the Messiah. He's the one that God has anointed to lead and rescue his people. Okay, now it's time to get on to some more difficult things. And, and life works that way all over the place, not just in elementary math. You know, maybe you, you're thinking, well, I'm arrived. You know, I got, I got the world by the tail. I'm in middle school. All right, well, no, clearly you have some more things to learn. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I got this parenting stuff figured out. Clearly you don't have middle school children yet. Uh, there's more... <laughs> for you to learn. Or more positively, maybe you've had an experience where you've gone through the training or you've read the books, you've had all the classroom stuff, and now that information has prepared you to go out into the field or into the lab. The knowing part has set you up for the doing part. Well, that's the kind of transition that's taking place in Mark chapter 8. If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it out. Mark chapter 8, if you've got one of these old-fashioned ones with pages, you can use it or bring it up on your phone. Mark chapter 8, and the good story in verse 31. It'll be on the screen. I'm going to read it from my notes. Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. Everything about the first half of the story has led us to this point. Ra rah, Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, great. Time for the next lesson. And Jesus began then to teach them that the Son of Man, the one who was so dominant in the first half, must suffer many things. And that he would be rejected by all the leaders, the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And, and that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. Now that doesn't sound like the success of the first half. And it certainly doesn't square with what we've just learned about Jesus' identity as the Messiah. Maybe, maybe this is code for something. No. Jesus spoke plainly about this. Well, so Peter took, took him aside and, and began to rebuke him. And then Jesus, turning his disciples, and began to rebuke Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You, you're not thinking about the things of God, but just you have human concerns on your mind. Now, I thought that, that Peter was on team Jesus. But Jesus looks at him and says, no, you got a blue devil uniform on. This is Duke fans. Everything was going so well. Such, such momentum. But now I'm a little confused. And the disciples seem to be confused as well. And before we can sort it all out, Jesus pipes up. Okay, good. I think he's going to help us get back on track. And he actually starts waving in the crowds. Not just his disciples, but he's calling the crowds. This, this is an important thing. I want to get this message to all the fans out there. So come on in. Gather around. This is important stuff. <laughs> 
And I imagine that this next moment for Jesus and for all the people gathered there uh, was something like one of those old Southwest Airlines commercials. Maybe you remember it. Uh, Take a look. Detroit was last night. (laughs) Jesus has everyone on his side. The crowds, the last time they gathered around Jesus, everyone ate and was satisfied. And now Jesus calls the crowd to him along with his disciples and he says, whoever of you wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. And I just imagine, I wasn't there, but I imagine that the place goes silent. And one of his disciples leans over to Jesus and says, you just said cross. And in the silence, the same question looms, but now with a frightening vividness. Do you want to be a fan or a follower? I would guess that most of us who have at least attempted to follow Jesus for any steps of the way have uh, discovered at some point it wasn't what we expected it to be. The way became hard. Uh, The the questions were were too big. The the feeling has worn off or, or maybe the waiting just became too much to bear. We've tasted some of what the disciples and what all of the crowd was starting to experience the further that they tag along with Jesus. And you can become, any of us could become a little bit disillusioned. Oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And that disillusionment really happens kind of, kind of at two levels. No, number one, in a sort of overarching way. Like, like, what is God up to here? What is happening in the larger story that God is telling that he seemed to be revealing through Jesus, but now we're not so sure? And this is the place where Jesus begins to chip away at the idea of the expectations of a military leader. Like this is going to be a, a, a conquest, a takeover of the Romans. Like, you know, you got big guns, we got bigger guns kind of approach. I mean, well, they didn't have guns, but you know what I mean. Swords or whatever. And there were a lot of these types of movements actually popping up all over the place in Jesus' time. And certainly when Mark was writing his story, where the leader would rise up and they say they're going to do something and promise freedom and rescue for all of the people. And uh, who, knows, who knows how many of the people that were showing up around Jesus thought that, like, hey, that's what this is. That's what I came to, right? One of Jesus' disciples, at least one, was a zealot, meaning he was part of the party that was all about that kind of stuff. Like, I'm going to kill me some Romans because that's what God wants. But Jesus, with all of that power and momentum, does not say, okay, we're going to overthrow the Romans and I'm going to be king. He says, no. No, that's not the kind of thing that God is doing. Instead of saying, take up your sword, he says, take up your cross. That's the symbol of of my kingdom, which again, everybody listening would have known. No, no, this is where revolutionary stories end in defeat. How will God bring about his promised triumph through that? We're we're a little disillusioned when trying to grasp the the larger sense of what is God up to. But we also struggle at at the personal level. See, Jesus isn't content to just leave us in the crowd. He invites us to be on the team. Anyone, whoever, anyone can be my disciple. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Oh, I don't think I signed up for that. 
Did I raise my hand? That must have been the girl behind me. See, if we've been observing Jesus to this point, now remembering everything from the, from the first half, it would seem as if following him would produce favorable results. I mean, consider all of the healings and the feedings. Jesus is manipulating events for the benefit of the people in such a way that they wouldn't have seen very often or maybe ever struggling as they were, clinging to the bottom rungs of the social ladder. They were used to being manipulated. They're not in control. The political systems and the religious systems control them. And riding Jesus' coattails looks like it might be an opportunity to reverse all of that. We make so many decisions out of a desire for control. That's why we vote. We've got to get our people in control. That's why I buy a lottery ticket, because if I win, then I'll be able to control my world. We jockey for position on our HOA so I can put up the fence that I want, or at our workplaces so I can get the position and the freedom and authority to do what I want. And then all of the micro moments in a relationship that we're leveraging to try to maintain the upper hand, whether it's through talking or not talking, or doing a guilt trip, or schmoozing, or domineering, or violating, or whatever I gotta do to retain control. Whatever I gotta do to finagle this relationship this conversation, this environment, or life in general to work out the way that I want it to. That's my default objective for the day when I wake up in the morning. It's, it's an especially American inclination, but it's a common desire for everyone. And after watching Jesus' dominant first half performance, everyone probably thought, looking at Jesus, he's the one that's going to fulfill that desire for us. Until Jesus calls everyone in close and says, whoever of you wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life and clutch onto control of it will lose it. But whoever loses their life and gives up control of their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I mean, what good is it? What good is it if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? What could a person give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me, and that's exactly what you'd be for anyone hanging on one of these. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in the way that the world currently is now, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when, they, when he comes with his Father's glory and his holy angels to usher in the new world. Do you want to be a fan or a follower? Attempting to follow Jesus in the second half of Mark Uh, it gets noticeably harder. In Mark chapter 6, in the first half, Jesus' disciples were casting out demons. In the second half, Mark chapter 9, they embarrassingly can't do anything to help a demon-possessed boy, much to Jesus' chagrin, and he doesn't hide his disappointment with them. Jesus' teaching now has a sharper edge to it. It's more severe. There's a war going on. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Don't let it destroy you. There's too much at stake. His, his focus has narrowed now. He's resolute. He's going to Jerusalem, and he lets his disciples know the fate that awaits him there. The, the first half of Mark revealed his identity. Now the second half reveals his purpose. And, if we'll allow it, shapes our purpose. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Now, we can make a mistake here. 
we can make a mistake and, and think that it's just about it being difficult. Like this is some general teaching on being disciplined. It's for the spiritual Navy SEALs, the Dietrich Bonhoeffers and the Martin Luther King Juniors and the Mother Teresas of the world, that we're to think of the Christian life as this thing of austerity. You know, you're sleeping on a bed of nails and you're eating leather. Deny yourself any kind of pleasure whatsoever. No laughing, wipe that smile off your face. If you're ever given multiple options, well, then choose the harder one. That's the one that God wants for you. If life is a tough fight, well, then that's how God wants it. Varmint, something like that. Well, no. No. Being a Jesus follower is about your willingness to be led by Jesus. Are you willing to be led? Are you going to plot out your next steps? Are you going to let Jesus do that? Are you willing to be led? Now, specifically for them, kind of dive into their world for a moment. The the, the crux of that question was a lot about, um, are you going to go with your plan to take up a sword and go fight the Romans in the name of setting up God's kingdom? Or are you going to trust God? Me, Jesus is saying, after you've seen everything that I've taught and everything that I've done, are you going to trust me to bring about God's kingdom, which comes by way of the cross and not the sword? And I know that doesn't square with your expectations, and I know you're having trouble understanding that fully, but I can take you there. Are you willing to be led by me? Either way is a tough fight. I mean, you can go fight the Romans, but Jesus is like, I actually have a much more profound battle in mind and a much more profound victory over sin and death is at hand and I want to lead you there. But you can waste your time crossing swords with the Romans if you want to. Go ahead, try to save your life in that way. You'll lose it. Give up control of your life to me and you will find a life that is not threatened by a little old Roman cross. A life that is free from the fear that death wants to hold over you. A life richer than you'd be even if you gained the whole world. Are you willing to be led? Bringing it into our world a little bit more. You know, they had some national concerns. We tend to think more individually. Jesus, of course, wants to lead at both levels. For us, the good story that we're sold from a very early age is about asserting yourself. It's about gaining control. It's about getting your piece of the pie or get the whole pie if you can. Life is good when you can finally reach a position where you can get other people to do what you want them to do. Whether that's because you're in charge or because you're popular and you're liked or you're feared or you're just the most ambitious person in the room. The key to your story being a good story is about uh, self-actualization, reaching your potential. It's about self-improvement. We don't talk much about self-denial. Oh, we talk about delayed gratification, like saying no to something now so that you can retire or go on vacation that you want. But again, Jesus isn't teaching any of that. He's saying being a disciple is about you following me. It's about me leading you. And yes, sometimes that will be hard. Not least because all of those instincts that are in us and the way that the world works is, is it grinds with the way that Jesus wants to lead us. And Jesus goes right there. Look at one more thing. Jesus speaks right to this in Mark chapter 10. He pulls away now from the crowd. He, he's just gathering with his disciples and they're, they're still struggling to keep up with him on this second half of the way and, and figure out where he's going. And so he calls them together, Mark chapter 10, he calls his disciples together and he said, look, 
we all see how the world works. I mean, look around. You see how the rulers of the Gentiles, how they lord it over the people that they're leading. That's it, all about dominating them. It's totally a power game. And you see how their high officials exercise the same kind of authority over them. That's how they all do it. It's the way the world works. Not so with you. If anyone among you wants to be great, well, then you must be like a servant. Whoever wants to be first should be the slave of all because even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' call to follow means your life will actually look different from all of the ways that you see around you. You actually have to cut against the grain sometimes. Yes, the whole world is chasing after fame and power and status. Not so with you. Followers look different. Followers look like their leader. Followers don't overinflate their importance. They overinvest in other people in order to build them up. Followers don't consider any task beneath them. They serve with joy. Jesus' followers don't go into a relationship, you know, just thinking about what they can get out of it, but what they will give to it. Oh, it's run-of-the-mill stuff to use somebody to satisfy your own desires and call that a relationship. Not so with you if you want to follow Jesus. Just like it's totally normal to take vengeance and to hold grudges, even for people who say, I believe in Jesus. Not so for people who actually want to follow Jesus. For people who would actually follow him all the way to the cross and consider the love that was poured out there, the forgiveness that was freely given there. Followers forgive. Followers continue to do all of those things even when the way is hard. When answers are long in coming and pain is long in staying. They hold on to Jesus, realizing they don't have a grip on control. None of us do. They they still trust him, even when they're in a situation like the disciples, where they just don't see where this is going. They, They don't have clear expectations. Followers follow all the way to the end. A follower's life is a tale of two halves. Yes, coming to an acknowledgement of something, calling Jesus for who he is. You are the Christ. I believe that, but... It's also about the second half. It's about more than just that knowledge that even the demons grasp. It's about committing your your whole self, heart, soul, mind, and strength, your, your hands and feet, your whole self to Jesus and actually obeying him. You look different. It's about doing a very different thing in admitting that I am actually not the best person to decide what to do with myself. I think there's someone smarter, and he has laid claim to my life. So I am going to deny myself the right to determine what's most important for me or what I should spend my time on or what's valuable or who's valuable. I'm going to submit myself to what Jesus thinks of all of those things. I'm going to let him define those things for me. Jesus is going to shape how I relate to my parents who are difficult, or my spouse who isn't perfect, or my neighbor who's annoying. 
Jesus is going to shape how I do my taxes, how I comment on social media, how I respond when I'm offended. Jesus is going to shape my calendar and my priorities and my bank accounts. Everyone else in the world takes those matters into their own hands. Not so with you if you want to be a follower of Jesus. Are you ready to be a follower? As we're going to see in the next two weeks, uh, Jesus finished the second half even stronger than the first. (laughs) nobody saw it coming no one understood what he was doing it didn't make any sense but nevertheless he walked his own talk denied himself took up his cross and was obedient to the end for a world that didn't get it he showed off the full extent of his power through sacrifice conquering a foe that was much greater than the Romans it was an act not of violence and vengeance but of love and forgiveness that ultimately claimed the victory that God promised. (laughs) And the good story does end with the battle being won by the cross and not the sword. We're people who know how the story ends. May that give us the confidence and the courage to be followers, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. Let's pray together. God, let that form the heart of our prayer, that we would indeed have courage to respond to you in the way that that you asked, to truly be followers, to, yes, acknowledge some things with our mind and our intellect about the truth of your identity and But to do more than that, to give you our whole selves, heart, soul, mind, and strength, please give us the courage to submit ourselves to you today and be ready to follow you wherever you lead us. We anticipate that some parts of the journey would be hard. We also know that some parts will be great and there will be lots of joy. And whatever comes, Lord, give us the, the readiness and the commitment to follow you all the way to the end, wherever you lead us. Not for our own sake, but for the sake of a world that you love for the sake of the world that you laid down your life for. You gave yourself to us. You gave yourself to this broken and hurting world. May we give ourselves to the same end, that others would be encouraged, that others would be loved, that others would come to know your love. To that end, we commit ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we come to a close today, um, again, if you're maybe kind of finding yourself, you're new around here wondering who all these crazy people are, uh, we'd love to, to meet you. And there's a crazy person standing over there named Zach. Uh, it says, new here. If you're new here, go shake Zach's hand. We'd love to put a gift in your hand as well. And if you're praying about something, or maybe after journeying through some of the story of Mark, you're ready to respond to Jesus and say, I'm ready to be a follower. Uh, I, I want to know what that's like. I want to make that kind of commitment. There'll be people right down here ready to talk with you and pray with you and would be glad to receive you in the next moments as we close our time. Let's close. If, you, if you're able to stand on your feet, why don't you do that? And we'll uh, close with these words again from Jesus in Mark chapter 10. He called his disciples together and he, he said to them, whoever uh, 